Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. Good morning, AWC. In preparation for this sermon, I asked the Bible study teens what the kingdom of God means to them. And this is some of their responses. One of them said, a place where love is the hierarchy in the spiritual realm becomes a reality. Another said, his kingdom, his coming kingdom where sins and all the dark bad stuff does not exist anymore. It's unlike something we've seen more than we can imagine. His kingdom is a world without the negative traits of earth, such as jealousy, hate, anger, drama. His kingdom consists of peace and harmony. This isn't the place we are meant to be, said another. We are meant to be somewhere that is so extraordinary that we cannot fathom what it would be like because it's not of this earth. There's so much more to learn and know. The objective of living for his kingdom is to not only live, but to also invite other people to live in it with us. We live for his kingdom by A, not conforming to this world, B, living as an example and shamelessly inviting others into the kingdom, and C, to always be willing and open to do whatever he calls us to do. And finally, One of them said, it, referring to the kingdom of God, requires a mentality and thought process that is not of this world. Some pretty solid answers from those who are growing up in the church. Now, as you can probably guess today, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of John. It is the fourth book of the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 18, verses 33 to 36. So you can open up to your Bibles or bring it up on your phone or maybe bring it up on your desktop. But while you're doing that, let me give you a little background information about what's going on here. Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry. He's been arrested by the Jewish high court called the Sanhedrin. It was the religious leaders, that that court that had judgment over the land. And so they put him on trial through the night. It was an illegal trial. And they put him on a trial all through the night. And the very next morning, they send him to Pilate, who is the governor of Judea, for another trial. And this is where we pick up this story. Pilate and Jesus are actually meeting privately, and they have a conversation. So John chapter 18 Verses 33 to 36, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for a trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus uses this phrase, not of this world, many times in the New Testament. 
And it's in reference, always in reference to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not of this world. He actually says that at multiple times in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And sometimes we just kind of read over it. We don't really think about what that means. But, do, but we do need to think about it. Jesus, there's a reason why Jesus is using this phrase. And so we need to step back. We need to have an understanding of what he means by not of this world. But to truly understand that, we need to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis. And you know what I love about the Bible? Is that from beginning to end, it is the story of the kingdom of God. You see, God is the king of this kingdom. He is the ruler. And when he created the universe, it became part of his kingdom. And so we have to go back to the very beginning when everything was created, when the kingdom was here on earth as it was in heaven, to find out what it means that is not of this world. From the very first page of the Bible, the core belief of the authors is that the kingdom of God is imperative or important to the story. And so if we are reading the Bible and we're not thinking about the kingdom of God as we're reading it, if we're not having that mindset, we're going to misunderstand what's being communicated to us. Because the kingdom of God is at the forefront of everything that the biblical authors are trying to tell us. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we're given this ideal. A perfect world without sin. Where God and humans live together in perfect harmony. This is the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, it doesn't last. The human characters disrupt the harmony by sinning against God. And they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And so they never maintain this ideal, this perfect harmony. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of the story is moving us back towards this ideal. You see, where once the kingdom of God was both fully here on earth as it is in heaven, now humanity is trying to reach the kingdom through their own means and purposes. And this only leads to more sin and chaos. Over and over in the Old Testament, we're given stories of characters who are trying to reach this perfect ideal and failing. Because they can't do it. No matter how high they build, they can never reach heaven. No matter how good they are, they are always hindered by sin in their lives. And no matter how great they are, they are never perfect. The nation of Israel was chosen by God to be the beacon of light in this world. The tabernacle, the festivals, the sacrifices, the law itself, all of that was given as a representative to reflect the kingdom of God as it is in heaven. It was given to reflect what the kingdom looked like here on earth. That's what all that was for. And so the Israelites were to show the world the kingdom by the way they lived. They were meant to bring the kingdom to all the nations surrounding them. They were wanting to tell other people about God and bring them to God. But they failed at their calling. They became so focused on themselves and building their own kingdom that they got lost in their pride and selfishness. And that the light of the kingdom of God was growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. But then something amazing happened. 
Jesus, the Son of God, God himself came to earth as the Messiah, our Savior, our King. He entered into existence as a human, putting aside his kingship for one sole purpose, to unite heaven and earth into one realm. He spent his time here on earth teaching people about what it means to live a life in the kingdom of God. He summed it up in these two commands, love God and love others. And then by his death and resurrection, he destroyed the stranglehold of sin and death that was introduced when humanity first sinned. And through Jesus, we are able to pursue this perfect harmony with God and with others through Jesus, the kingdom of God is able to come back here to earth. Philippians 3, verse 20 says, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. You see, our citizenship does not belong to this world. We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God a place not of this world. And so when Jesus said that, when he said that the kingdom is not of this world, he was saying, I'm not building a physical kingdom that's going to last and fall down after a few hundred years. No, I'm building a spiritual kingdom that's going to last forever and ever and ever without end. And so wherever we go in this world, wherever we go, we take the kingdom with us. We share the kingdom with others when we tell others about Jesus when we tell them that he loves them and that he died for them and that he wants to be in a relationship with them. That's bringing the kingdom. And we declare the kingdom in victory over the darkness of this world when we help people follow Jesus. Because of all of this and because what Jesus has done and all of this kingdom stuff, we as Christians live for a kingdom not of this world. We as Christians live for a kingdom, not of this world. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says this, Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously or live the way that Jesus taught. And he, meaning God, his name is Yahweh, will give you everything, everything you need. You see, as followers of Jesus, everything we do, everything we say, is meant to point to the kingdom of God. But too often, and I know I'm guilty of this, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but too often, we get caught up in building our own kingdom. We get caught up in doing what we think is right, in building our own little kingdom. And we miss out on what God is trying to do in his kingdom. You see, in God's kingdom, we think of others, we think of their interests before our own. An example of that is maybe you give money to someone who needs it before buying something that you want. In God's kingdom, we always do what is right. This means that we fight against injustices like human trafficking. In God's kingdom, we stand with people in the good and bad times. This means we don't pretend to be their friend, and then once their back is turned, we gossip and spread lies about them. 
And in God's kingdom, we remain calm in all situations, not letting anxiety or frustration control our actions. And I'm not saying we do these perfectly, but these are what we push for. This is what we strive to do in the kingdom. There are many more, but I just want to give you a couple examples. Because to build the kingdom of God out there, to build the kingdom of God here in Amherst, to build the kingdom of God here in Nova Scotia, to build it outside of these four walls, which is where the kingdom of God is meant to be built, to build it out there, we need to be willing to let the kingdom of God be built in here first. Every day, we see a world that is hurting, it's broken, it's chaotic and evil. And sometimes, sometimes those who claim to be followers of Jesus are the ones doing the hurting, the breaking, creating chaos and being evil. And this should not be the case. We are kingdom bringers. People are lost in their sins and they need Jesus to come and rescue them. And we, as Christians, we rage a, a wage a spiritual war to reclaim these lost people in the name of Jesus Christ. This, this is the whole point of the kingdom, to reclaim people back in the name of Christ. To bring them to salvation, to introduce them to Christ. That is the whole point of the kingdom. Doing nice things, doing good things, doing benevolent things, that is great. That is a result of the kingdom. That is not what builds the kingdom. What actually builds the kingdom is telling people and inviting people to follow Jesus. In this war, this building of the kingdom, it's tiresome. It's hard work, it's grueling, it's messy, it's time-consuming, but it's worth every second. We won't always see the results. We may never even see the fruit of our labor. But if we are obedient to our king, we have to have the faith and trust that he will take care of it. And the fact of the matter is the kingdom of God will not be fully realized in this world. In the, the TV series, The Chosen, Jesus says this, in this world, bones will still break, hearts will still break. But in the end, the light will overcome darkness. You see, the Bible promises that there will be a new earth, one where everything is made new, one where bones won't break, one where hearts won't break. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sin. This, this is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. This is why we bring the kingdom, so that people can spend eternity with the God who loves them. This is why we tell others about Jesus. It's so that one day, one day, we can experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. You see, right now we only have a taste. We only have a glimpse. But in eternity, we'll experience the whole picture of heaven and earth united in one reality. Because we live 
for a kingdom that is not of this world. The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis are some of my favorite stories, and I'm eagerly awaiting the day when I get to read them to Caleb, to see the awe and excitement on his face as he hears about the four Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Lucy's actually where we got the name for our dog. And he gets to learn about them as they travel through Narnia and they encounter Aslan, who is the creator of Narnia. But one of the things that makes these books great is this underlying theme, and it's never even explicitly said, but it's this theme that the four Pevensey children were created for a kingdom not of this world. You see, on earth there are four regular children living in the chaos and the craziness of World War II in Britain. And then they arrive in Narnia and they discover they're not just regular children, they are kings and queens of Narnia. And the inhabitants of Narnia have been eagerly awaiting them to come. And so the four kids grow up and they rule over Narnia. And then one day, one day they return back to this world. And while years have passed in Narnia, only minutes have passed in the real world. And so they return as kids. And eventually they do go back. And Aslan shares with them that they are meant to come back to this world to learn and take what they've learned in Narnia and discover who he is in this world so that they can follow him here. It's then that the kids realize that Narnia is not some separate world that exists. It's deeply connected to our world. You see, Narnia doesn't exist without our world. And while they are made for a kingdom not of this world, they take what they learn in Narnia and apply it to life. The creation story in Genesis ends with God and humans living together in the seventh day rest. It's the only day, you can check it, it's the only day in the creation story that doesn't end with it was evening and it was morning, the blank day. This points actually to the very end of the Bible. This is pointing to the very end of the story in Revelation where God and humans will live together in this new creation in perfect harmony with one another. It's pointing to the kingdom of God in its fullness, the kingdom of God that will never end, a seventh day rest that will continue forever into eternity. And so I want to leave you today with two questions. And the answer to these questions will be how you apply this message. It's up to you to wrestle with and answer them. Number one, does your life reflect the kingdom of God? Does your life reflect the kingdom of God? Remember that list I went through? Do you think of the interests of others before yourself? Do you always do what is, what is morally right? Do you stand with people in the good and bad times? Do you remain calm in all situations? Again, you, you don't have to be perfect at these. I'm not saying you have to have a perfect score in all of these. But are these things that you strive to? Are you, are you allowing the kingdom of God to live in you so that these are things that you are living out? If so, keep it up. Keep pushing forward with those in mind. But if you hear those things and you're like, I don't, I can't think of the last time that I've thought of someone else before myself. 
Or I don't always do what's morally right. Or I, I you know, I, I stick with people in the good times, but once the bad times come, I just get out of there. Or maybe, you know, when you get anxious or frustrated, you just, you don't let God in during those situations to help you. So what is stopping you from reflecting the kingdom? What's stopping you from thinking of others before yourself? Spend time in prayer about that. Ask God, God, how can I be better at this? Give me your spirit. God, God promises this is seek first the kingdom. And I will give you whatever you need. So if you're seeking his kingdom, he will help you. He will help you to live that way. I encourage you to spend time reflecting on that and thinking about that. Question number two. How are you going to build the kingdom of God? At home, at school, at work, with your family, with your friends, with the minorities in our country. How are you going to build the kingdom? Maybe it means inviting your neighbors over for supper, getting to know them, people who don't know Christ, inviting them into your life to live life with them. But it's not just living life with them. You have to be open. You have to declare the truth. You have to share and talk about the kingdom of God. You have to share and talk about Jesus. That's, that's how the kingdom is built. The kingdom is not just built randomly. It takes us being conscious and making the decision to tell people about Jesus, to live life with them. So how are you going to do that? You're going to invite them over to your house. Maybe at school you're going to work on a project that talks about the kingdom of God and then present it. Maybe at work you will openly invite people to talk about things about God and the kingdom. Yeah, is it going to be messy? Is it going to be tiresome? Of course. But it's worth it. Is it going to be awkward? Yeah. But if that one awkward moment saves a person from, from eternal separation from God, if that one awkward moment does that, isn't it worth it? So how are you going to build the kingdom? How are you going to do it? There are, there are thousands of people outside of these four walls that don't know Jesus. You know them. You live with them. You've known them for years. How are you going to bring the kingdom to them? Don't just sit there and wait for the church to do it for an outreach event to be like, oh, I'm going to bring them to that and that's going to get them saved. No. You are a kingdom bringer. You can build the kingdom. So build it. Build the kingdom of God here in Amherst because that's what it's about. It's not about these four walls. It's not even about this church building. It's not even about AWC. It's about building the kingdom of God. So are you ready to live for a kingdom not of this world? 
I leave you with these words from the Apostle John, but I want to encourage you before I leave you with these words. This is the phrase. Either write it on your window, put it on your phone, put it on your fridge with the little magnet things. But I want you to put the phrase, not of this world, as a reminder that we live for a kingdom that's not of this world, and we are meant to bring that kingdom to people. But the Apostle John, he wrote this in Revelation, the very final book of the Bible. This is what he writes, and I leave you with this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, look, I have made everything new. We live for a kingdom not of this world. Thank you. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways. Thank you.